Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch, and as always, let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Are you ready to unlock the art of negotiation? Stay tuned for a dive into the world of high stakes negotiation. Whether you're looking to close a business deal or just improve your everyday interactions, your success could hinge on what you'll learn in today's episode. But first, I want to give a shout out to Page B Podcasting via Apple Podcasts. She said, this is a great show. If you're looking to dip your toes into the real estate investment pool, this podcast is a great place to be. I've gained an amazing amount of knowledge from the show. Every episode has something valuable to offer. If you guys enjoy this podcast, please leave us a star review and help other listeners find us. I also want to mention one of our success highlights from uh, one of our students. Ashley B. Garner closed on a 35 unit in Gastonia, North Carolina. The deal was valued at $3,450,000. If you've done a deal, tag us on social media or email us at support at themichaelblanc.com and we'll mention your deal potentially in one of our episodes. So in our latest episode of Financial Freedom with Real Estate, I am going to talk about negotiating. I have branded myself as a an expert negotiator at this point in time, just based on, on the things that I do in this business for others. So in general, I've just learned what to do. And I found some helpful tips that I'm going to share with you guys just to help you become a better negotiator in your own world. Also, if you're interested in learning how to do apartment deals, reach out to us at themichaelblanc.com and hook up with a mentor. See if it's a right fit for you. This is something that I think has changed many people's lives and will continue to do so. The coaches are actually people that do real estate deals themselves, which is pretty unique in the space. They're not just a coach, they're doing deals. And so you can learn from someone that's already doing it and get yourself into the game, which is really cool. So I'm going to get into the interview with myself. So I just want to say that I was not always a good negotiator. I was not a natural negotiator. I had to learn the skill. I was kind of a clown in high school. And I ended up landing a job where I, and I've talked about the, what happened to me in high school and in a, in a different podcast, but essentially I needed to make $15,000 in order to go to college because of some stupid stuff that I did prior. And I was 18 years old and I got a job selling knives. My best friend at the time was selling Cutco to everyone that I knew. He was selling like kitchen knives and we would make fun of him for being the knife boy and all these things. And then I really needed the job because it was the only way that I could see how to make that 15,000 in order to go to college. So I joined and then I had to figure out how to make that 15,000. And so I, I just dug into all the materials of a pretty hard nosed sales organization. You're going essentially, you're getting warm leads, but you're going kind of door to door selling knives is, is basically what it is. And that was tough. It's tough to figure that out, but I I dug into all the material. I figured out how to 
improve. When I first started, my average order size was somewhere in the $100 range. By the time I was done after four years of working for this company, my average order size was somewhere in the $1,000 range. So I had 10X'd it. And I attribute a lot of that to being able to negotiate. So I learned a lot of skills through that. Now, these skills kind of formed a baseline for me and allowed me to utilize these skills and tap into them in other businesses. And I know a lot of people that were in this company that got the sales training that have gone in to do amazing things. It's pretty crazy. But I'll tell you one quick story about how I use these skills, just broad skill set. My business partner, Michael, he needed to land a domain. And this domain was for one of his new ventures, Platform Builders, which you guys, some of you guys may have heard of. And there was platformbuilders.com and then there was platformbuilder.com. And so he's like, listen, this thing's been sitting, both these been sitting up there. I can't get them. The one guy wants like 25,000. The other guy wants like 45,000 for his. So I need help with this. Can you, can you see what you can do? And I was like, okay. And I guess everyone had been trying. So I never did a domain negotiation before. I had no clue about anything. But what I did is I started to study how it works, what people do. Okay, what is the behavior behind why would someone go and buy these and hold on to them? And there's these hedge funds that buy these domains, like loads and loads of them. And they just sit on them for years. And then one day someone comes along and wants to pick them off. So one guy had a business on one of the URLs and the other one was owned by a hedge fund. And so I kind of understood the motivation of each, I thought. So I reached out to the guy that owned the website and the business. And that guy, the only difference between the two URLs is wanted to ask someone did it, right? So they both would work. And I was like, hey, man, what do you want for this? And he was like, well, you know, I, I want this crazy number or whatever. And I'm like, well, it's not really worth that. And he's like, well, I think it is. And like, okay, whatever. So this guy started to seem like it was kind of a tougher situation. I went to the hedge fund. I'm like, what do you guys want? They're like, well, it's worth 25. We want that. And I was like, well, that's kind of steep. And so then I was like, all right, I'm going to try to pin these two companies against each other and see if I can get this deal done. So long story short, I went to the one guy and I, got, I somehow got him to write an email saying that he might accept some lower number. I think it was like $6,000 potentially, but he's not sure. So I took that email and I went and I brought it to the hedge fund. I'm like, see, this guy's one letter off. I can pick this up for this price. So if you guys can do it for a little bit lower than that, I'll go with you guys. Otherwise, I'm going to go in this direction. And I knew that this was a, a conglomerate, right? They were a huge company and they were just trying to, to spin these off. So that I made them question where they thought their valuation was on the specific URL. And lo and behold, they took my offer. <laughs> so I got them down from 25,000 down to somewhere around 6,000 for the URL. And Michael was like floored. He's like, how did you do that? And it was just, it took some back and forth and it took a strategy going in. I had to understand the motivations of both sides and then figure out a way to be creative to get a deal done. And so that one ended up working out and I will say, so the, the broad set of skills doesn't doesn't always matter if you what the product is, just matters that you have some of these skills. And so my brothers that, that went through the sales training as well, they're both phenomenal salespeople just from doing the same thing I did. And my thing was, I was like, I'm going to go sell the biggest thing I could possibly sell 
because I have this broad set of skills. So it doesn't matter. Like if I went and sold something small, I would probably be the most successful at it, but I'm not going to make as much money because it's a smaller product unless I'm selling monster volume. So what's the biggest thing I can think of? And I was like, real estate. So I went into real estate. That was 13 years ago. If you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, then check out our investment firm, Nighthawk Equity at nighthawkequity.com. You can learn more about us, our team, our track record and investment process, and you can schedule a call with us as well. Just click the join button. You can fill out a short form to join our investment club, and then you can schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation with you and share some of our upcoming opportunities. Again, that's nighthawkequity.com. Talk to you soon. So when I get into a negotiation, I like to prepare for it. And some of the things that I'm doing is I'm doing my homework with the person on the person that I'm negotiating with. I got to find out who they are. What's their role in the company? Are they a decision maker? What's their motivation? What type of negotiation is this? Is it a slower negotiation? Is it hard and fast? I need to have clear objectives going in. So a lot of my negotiations nowadays are like contracts, like legal contracts. It's it's more of mind games or or right now we're negotiating debt. Okay. And so you have to understand where the other party sits. It's kind of like a game of poker almost. And you have to you have to know when to go all in and when to, when to pull back. Other things we're negotiating vendor contracts or disputes with contractors, things like that, that come up, that can happen too. And you can land yourself in a real tough bind. We had one that was a legal, I have a lot of legal negotiations that we're doing or that we did do. One specifically was a large dispute over a bunch of work that didn't get done. And so a vendor was suing us for that. And we had to, or, or we were going to be sued for that, but we decided to try to work it out prior. And it was like a, it was just like a long game where you were trying to get leverage in a situation. And once you get leverage, then you can make moves. That's kind of how the legal negotiations work. So there's different types of negotiations that you can run into, but it's the same broad set of skills that translates to everything. You also need to know what's like your deal breaker. So you should always have a number in your head. Like, All right, if I hit this, we're good. If we don't, then I need to keep trying or we're not going to do the deal. This can come into play often when you're trying to get a an apartment deal done. So you're only willing to pay a certain price. The other guy's only willing to let it go for a certain price, right? And right now, specifically, you have a challenge, the challenge of essentially closing that gap because sellers don't want to come down, buyers don't want to come up. It's a big problem and it's tough in the markets right now. So one thing that's really important in the negotiation is how you how you leverage or command the relationship. And this is important because you want to try to build trust and rapport with the parties, regardless of the, the situation. Even if it's a, it's a high stress situation, you want to get in there, you need to, professionalism is extremely important. Uh, you don't want to ever go into a place where you look like you're off the rails or don't know what you're doing, unless that's part of your strategy specifically. But typically I found that that doesn't work. You want to act with professionalism. You want to build trust and, and rapport with them. Hey guys, we're just trying to get to a common win for everybody here. You understand your position. You understand where we are. Let's see if we can meet somewhere in the middle. Let's figure it out. 
But sometimes it's inevitable that, that emotions are going to run high. And if emotions do run high, the first thing you should always do is you should agree with the other side. This is the way to really diffuse the situation consistently is just agree with them. They could say something that's completely outlandish. And if you just say, I understand and I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but there's always a but at the end of it. I hear you. Yeah, I totally get it. I get where you're coming from. Listen, I agree with that. Like, just like that, I just agree with, you don't necessarily have to believe what they're doing, what they're saying, but if you agree with what's coming out of their mouth and then just trying to redirect it, that's a really good trick. The other one is blaming a third party. So if you need to get something done and you're you're the decision maker, but you act like you have a boss or you act like you have investors or something somewhere that is controlling the outcome, that is a really powerful technique when it comes to negotiation. So for example, if I need, we need to have a deal done we need to get a deal, a specific deal done with a vendor. And we say, hey, listen, I got to check with my investors because they're not going to allow me to do this necessarily at this price. I don't think so. Let me check. Come back to them the next day. Yeah, they said no. So what do you want to do? We need to get this price lower. And they're going to think it's some outside force. They can't be mad at you. They can't redirect their negative energy towards you when there's somebody else involved that they don't have access to. So that's a really helpful strategy that I found works often. Should always, and there's a lot of ways that that can be applied. Also, if you if emotions run high, you want to distance yourself from the situation for a minute and just let people cool down. That's that's typically a helpful tactic. Just to back out, don't agitate it, and then come back with a clear mind, clear head. And so I've had a lot of intense negotiations. I'm going to go through a couple of them. So one of the biggest, most difficult negotiations that I had to deal with was a deal that we tried to do in El Paso, Texas. It was our, actually our first deal together as Nighthawk, Michael, Drew, and myself. And it, it was a negotiation that took place over the course of a year. It took an entire year. And we essentially didn't have the, our capital together. And we had to, we had to essentially keep the seller on the hook as long as possible so we didn't lose our earnest money while we we're trying to figure out how to get the capital and that took a lot of time and energy there was a lot of mini negotiations inside of it like hey these contract terms are not good let's change them to this we want to add seller financing and we want to get out okay that didn't work let's try this instead it looked like we were just problem solving the entire time which we were but we also had to raise the capital which was very difficult to do i, I was going to conferences to try to meet with equity groups to try to get them to do the deal. And that entire negotiation over the course of a year, a consistent negotiation with the sellers, we ended up extending our time from like a two month, well, we had a total of three months in the beginning to an entire year for the same price. And it was just because we kept, I had that trust from a port built with them and they were okay with it. They're comfortable with it. Now they ended up, we ended up not doing the deal. We ended up losing our earnest money a year, year later. And the seller actually ended up winning because they ended up selling it for more than they had it with us. But the ability to get that extended for an entire year for the same cost, that's pretty difficult to do. And that was something that there was, we continued to navigate throughout the entire process. I was kind of leading the charge on that. Another big one is. I had an, an exit from a, a partnership where we had to figure out how to exit from this amicably 
over 25 different apartment deals. And that was crazy. We, we had to, one of the strategies that I learned in general, I knew is you always want to have the other side throw out the valuations or throw out their number that they want or throw out the, if there's any numbers involved, the other side needs to, to speak about them first. That's super important because it gives you a frame of reference as to where their mindset is. So in this specific negotiation, I had my numbers of what I thought all the properties were worth. They had their numbers. I was dead set on having them throw the first number out. They did. Their numbers were actually higher than mine in a lot of ways. And so I just, I was like, I got thrown a bone there because I'll just agree to those prices and then we'll value things at that, right? So having somebody throw out the number first is very powerful. Another one, I actually at one point in time had, you guys may be familiar with Grant Cardone. They were looking to possibly hire me. This was years ago to run Cardone Capital. And I was like, you know, I've only worked a job like once, but let's check this out. Let's see what this could be. And I, I was in the office with Grant Cardone and I couldn't figure out what they wanted to pay me. And I'm like, guys, like, I can't throw out the first number because I knew what I wanted to make with the very minimum, but I, I didn't want to insult them by my numbers. So I'm like, you guys tell me what you're, what you're considering for this role. And we just went back and forth. And finally he was like, you know, he said some crazy stuff. Like, what are we, we paying you? And started listing out different salaries, whether or not they were true or not. But the, the numbers were, were way lower than I had anticipated. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work, guys. I'm not looking to make what you're willing to offer me right now. Sorry. And we ended up not having a deal. But I understood where they were at, got some numbers feedback from them, and then decided it wasn't the right fit versus me throwing out some, like imagine if I went out with, with some crazy number to them, they would balk and, and, and back off. So having the other side throw that number out first, I think that's one of the bigger moves that you can make to get something done. The other very difficult things to navigate are the like legal contracts. So if you get into any apartment deal, you're essentially in charge of negotiating a legal contract with stipulations in there with some other multimillionaire, right? Like some sometimes they're billionaires that you're negotiating with on their side or their team. And they have a very capable legal team. And some people, everyone's different, but everybody typically, they're very smart. So you have to try to get what you want on the contract negotiation, and you have to give a little in order to get what you want. So with those types of negotiations, I typically have points that I, I want to win. And it's typically only a handful or maybe less. Sometimes it's only two or three points that I really care about winning, but I'll start with 50 asks in the red lines of the contract, right? So I start there and what we're doing is is this is this is very analogous to a concept called dropping down okay so when i would have how did i increase my average order size with cutco from 100 to 1000 well i made one key shift that i learned from actually a mentor of mine named hal elrod which you guys know that he's the author for the miracle morning he's another very successful cutco alumni and i was starting with the like a mid range set at like $600 and then I dropped down to the lowest one. So by the end the person felt comfortable only buying, you know, like one knife maybe in the beginning. What I started 
changing and doing was with my strategy is I started showing them the entire book and I had a, a way to go through it quickly and easily. And I called the blue book special and it was cook, the cookware, the, the cutco, the, the flatware, everything. It was like 10 grand. And I'd start with that and I'd isolate it down to, I'd show them everything and I'd say, okay, if you want all this, it's $10,000. And imagine sitting in someone's kitchen and they're like, whoa, $10,000 is crazy. You're like, okay, that doesn't work for you. Well, how about these? And you get the what's called a like list, all the things that they like to get, they like the most. And then you start to build a package with those. Pretty soon you're down in that 3,000 range and they're really considering purchasing. Then you get down to a thousand and a thousand doesn't seem like so much. So that is a skill and it's a, that's a tactic that you can use also where you start with a really big number on, on your product pitch and you understand first you've already gotten their information you understand kind of where their head's at a little bit a cutco is a little bit different because you didn't know you're not gonna ask them how much money they have or whatever so started really high with our product offering and then when you drop down it doesn't seem that bad so in contract negotiation it's the same thing you're starting with 50 asks on your contract and you see what they give you and you see what they strike, and you know that what the things that you want. But it, it looks really good if you give away 45 of your points, your talking points, or your red lines. You give that away to get the five that you want. So you may, for example, it may be really important to you to get to keep the occupancy above 90% so that you can get your agency loan. So then maintaining that occupancy and not letting the property fall off a cliff in the process if that's the most important thing to you or one of them, that's you hone in on that and then you ask, make 50 asks and hopefully by the time you whittle it down, they're okay with accepting that one change because you gave them so much. So I've had to use that tactic a lot. We had many contracts that were very challenging to, to navigate where the other side wanted so many things and we had to find some kind of middle ground. And it can take a lot of time. It's a lot of iterations back and forth. We give you this, you give us that. But that's something that's really relevant to a lot of listeners here is that type of negotiating the contracts. So that's something that you guys can use. Relation to legal, I touched on this a little bit, but we had, again, a vendor that we were in a legal situation with and they claimed that we owed them all this money. We said, we don't, we don't think we do. And we were really far off on the number. I think they wanted like 400,000 to start. We wanted to pay them zero. We thought they screwed up our properties so terribly. There was not really great contracts in place. So we're like, all right, how do we bridge this gap? And, and our way of bridging the gap was to wait it out and sit and just deal with the lawyers and wait and wait and wait and wait until they were just done. They're like, all right, if we get anything out of this, it will be a win at this point because of how long it's taken. It took us two and a half years. Finally, we reached an agreement somewhere in the middle. They weren't willing to take less in the beginning, but we gained leverage over time with our positioning, with what we showed as evidence, different things like that gave us a leverage for us to make a strike and to, to get out and be done. That's another tactic that you can use potentially to win over a negotiation, just to ride it out if you can, if you can afford it and you have the patience to do so. Typically with legal related, like lawsuits, things like that, which I've seen a lot of those in my career just, just comes with this part of the business. 
you've got you're housing thousands of people somebody's going to slip and fall somebody you know things are going to happen they're people are going to come and chase you and try to get money and those are the most emotionally taxing negotiations because someone's coming to attack you and you feel really threatened it's about money typically it's very important to batch those so i i try to isolate just that i can feel the emotions maybe just in that moment when I'm negotiating those things. But when I step out of that, I don't think about it. It's over. It's done. That negotiation's continuing. It's ongoing. But I stop thinking about it. I try to compartmentalize the legal situation. Um, that can be very important to do. Because otherwise, you're going to drive yourself nuts thinking about it, waking up thinking about it, going to bed thinking about it, all those things. And it's better if you're able to compartmentalize. So you're getting into negotiation. And if you're just starting out, it, it's always helpful to see if you can read up on on art. The art of negotiation is one. I think that's that's a Donald Trump book. There's a bunch of them out there that you can read up on and start to understand the skills. Art of war is a good one as well, and understand how humans work. It's more of an understanding of what motivates humans to do certain things, peers, coworkers, everything. And pretty much everything out there is a negotiation. There was a funny thing I saw that I saw Chris Voss is like the master negotiator out there, right? Like he's like known for getting all these, you know, hostage negotiations on things like that. And when you develop the skills, you just know the patterns right away. So like he he does this thing where he's like 30 seconds or she dies or something like that. And you have to try to negotiate. He tries to negotiate you know, giving up the girl or whatever it is. Like there's a hostage and in 30 seconds, she's dead. So there's people, he does this exercise with other podcasters out there. And I mean, the rule is really, you can't just say no, no, just to say no. Like you have to actually work the negotiation. And the first thing I'm thinking about, okay, 30 seconds is not enough time. So I need to negotiate that first. That's the first thing I would say to the person with the hostage is, I can't get anything done unless you give me more time. I'll get you whatever you want, but 30 seconds is not enough time. So what do we do here? And that is the right way. There's only one path forward. My point in saying this is that sometimes there's only one path to get to your outcome. And you have to understand what that what that is and then move in that direction. And so I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of people fail at that. It's almost like the sum of this pen thing, right? The wolf of Wall Street sell me this pen that one there's there's really no one to path forward also because you can't can't sell someone a, a pen that doesn't want one right that's that's just another thing so prospecting is another part of negotiation that's really important is making sure you have the right customer on the other side or the the right prospect or else you're really not going to get too far i think that doing your research in advance will help you with that in negotiating so Guys, those are some of my tips when it comes to negotiations. I hope you found this valuable. We've mastering negotiations for years, and we've been using it to buy apartment deals in general. So if you're interested and you're like, listen, I don't want to buy my own apartment complex and deal with fixing toilets and maintenance and headaches and collecting rent and all those things, and you just want to get in the game without all those headaches, we offer an option where you can actually invest alongside us. And all you have to do is go to nighthawkequity.com slash join or slash invest now, click the button, set up a call with us. We'll speak with you 
and see if it's a good fit to get you into one of our deals. These deals have a lot of benefits like cash flow appreciation and what's called depreciation, or it's a tax benefit that you get. And it's it's really helpful to have all three of those things going. That's why we love these these types of investments. People still need a place to live. Apartments are still a really good investment. And the best part about all this is that pricing is way down because of the interest rates. So it's a great time to pick up these apartment complexes that are steel. So reach out to us again, nighthawkequity.com. And we look forward to chatting with you. That's all, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by enrolling in the number one apartment investing course on the market. The Apartments 101 Masterclass will give you proven strategies to buy your first apartment building with no money down. Sign up for free lifetime access to learn how to close your first deal in as little as 180 days. Head over to apartments101.co to start your free training. That's apartments101.co.